Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, starting in verse number 27. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 27. With not hold, withhold not good uh, from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give, when thou hast it by thee. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Strive not with a man without cause, if he have done the uh, if he have done thee no harm, envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the forward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we took time before this message, Lord, to lift up our request before you, understanding that the problems that we have before us are out of our control, Lord to try to handle them ourselves or try to understand and master them ourselves is only a waste of time and foolishly really attempt of our own spiritual death. Lord, but this evening we come before you humbly begging you to help us, to guide us in the situations that before us. It doesn't matter whether it's salvation. Lord, help us to be a witness to those who desperately need you, Lord, if it's for those who we love being sick, Lord, we desperately ask you to put your hand upon them, being the great physician, and do a work that you can do, Lord, and even more, Lord, even in our own lives. Lord, I pray that in our own lives that we learn to grow closer to you, Lord, that we learn to love your word, that we learn to seek your face and live a life of dependence upon you. We give thanks to you for all that you've done, Lord. We thank you for the blessings we've experienced even this evening in our lives, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We've returned here to the end of Chapter 3, it would seem that last week we had the opportunity to see a father's desire for his son, and not in the matters of how he lived horizontally, but we was able to see Solomon's desires for his son and how he lived in relationship with the Lord. In those verses, we seen that Solomon would ask his son to keep wisdom. He would ask his son to keep discretion and in seeking wisdom and in keeping wisdom, the rewards for that would be that 
the Lord would be his confidence, that the Lord would be his companion as he journeyed through life, and that in seeking the Lord, and with the Lord being our companions in life, that we don't have to live a life of fear, that we we don't have to live a life of restlessness, but he says to his son that if we will live correctly vertically, that the results of living like that will be a life of sweet peace. It will be a, a life of sweet rest. But here in our verses before us this evening, really in verses 27 to 31, Solomon transitions from what he's telling his son if, as we said last week, he, he addressed the vertical relationship, but this week he will address the horizontal relationship. If our vertical relationships are right, then our horizontal relationships should be right. And in verses 27 through 31, he gives five prohibitions of living to his son, five five statements he gives here that shouldn't these actions should not be seen in the life of a believer verses 27 and 28 he really well verse 27 he gives forth the first prohibition but i'm going to read 27 and 28 withhold not good from them to whom it is due what it is in the power of thine hand to do it Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give when thou hast it by thee. I believe there are several different areas in which you can apply this to your own personal life. This verse applies to the aspect of how we treat those who are in need. This aspect applies, Brother Michael, I think I'm just going to go back to the pulpit, Mike. We ordered a new one. But we can see that there's really three aspects in how this applies. One, it applies in the aspect of how we treat the needy. Secondly, it applies in the aspect of how we treat our neighbors. And I believe it also comes into an effect of, in the aspect of Christians, if we're business or uh, Christian businessmen, in the aspect of how we behave as an employer. But notice the first part of verse number 27. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due. The Lord has really laid out this chapter marvelously because leading up to this point, we have been reminded about how wonderful God is. We've been reminded that God does not withhold his love from his children. And we've seen that God not only cares about his children's needs, he, he cares about his children's wants, he cares about their desires. He even showed us in these verses previous to this that he cares about our fears, that we don't have to be fearful because he's with us. That's the promise, and that he cares about our rest, and not only that in him and seeking him, that we're not only going to have rest, but we're going to have sweet rest. I mean, he does not withhold his love from us. And we understand that even today. We understand that God has not withheld his love from us. John 3.16 points that out, that God has so not withholding his love from us, if you would say it that way, that he gave his only son 
for us. God has not withheld any aspect of his love from us as his children. So if that's what God has done for his children, then what kind of people would we be if we withheld our love from others? Even more here, Solomon tells his son about the sins of omission that we commit one towards another. You see, to do wrong, we do wrong. We, when we, in the aspect of doing wrong one to another, our minds often think about actions that we do towards each other. Well, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. Well, you know what? I said that towards them, and I shouldn't have said that. Well, I behaved like that. Well, you know what? I, I lost my temper, and I behaved wrongly. But here Solomon points out to his son that you don't have to commit an action to do another brother or sister wrong. You can omit an action and still be in the same place of doing them wrong if you did something ill towards them. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due. Here we see that the sin of omission, real, really here what he's putting forth to us is that if you have the ability to do good, then you have the responsibility to do good. If you have the ability, ability to be a blessing to someone, but you omit it because of your own foolish desires or because you want to keep your wealth, because you're trying to build your prosperity, then he even will further go on to say that this is the same sinful, wicked behavior of the world. And in the closing part of, of verse 27, he kind of puts this into the thought process because where do we go with this when we say withhold not good from them to whom it is due? I mean, so what does this mean if, if we have $200,000 in your retirement and your 401k that you should sell it off and because you have the monetary wealth to do good, so should you sell it off and do good? But here he says, withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Meaning... This isn't to say that you should set off into a life of, you know, of poverty so that you can do good for others. But it's really about when it's in your hand, when you have this money that's your possession that's on you or, or maybe even your bank account and you omit being a blessing for that desire. We, we need to be sensitive to the needs of others. But scripture warns us that there is a danger of failing to do good there there is also a sin when we do each other wrongly though there's a sin of omission when we withhold good but there's also a sin of commission withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it from them to whom it is due now, this could be viewed in the aspect of a neighbor. This could be viewed in the aspect of an employee. Or this could just be viewed in the aspect of you know someone in the church who's struggling, who isn't making the ends meet. You know they're struggling. And as you hear about their burden, you're sitting there maybe holding money in your pocket. You don't really need the money. You just like having the money. 
Here he says that we should not have such a heart recognizing that God has not withheld anything from us. What kind of people would we be if we withheld from others? Even more, he says, withhold not good from them to whom it is due. As I said, I believe that this applies in the aspect of even being a, a boss or being a Christian as a business owner. I believe that Christians ought to be the best managers, the best bosses, or the best business owners to work for. We ought to strive to be a blessing to others. We ought to strive to pay each other correctly. We, ought to, we shouldn't set out to take advantage of each other just because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I once worked for uh, a union shop, and when I first started there, they told me that I had to pay union dues every month. And I thought, what is this? I've got to pay you $75 every month to work for you? Who pays a place to work for them? About six months into working for that place, I would have gave them twice as much money just to protect me from the shenanigans that was going on in that place. And I was happy to be in a union. But in this aspect, this is not something that should be said about believers. We shouldn't, it shouldn't be said about us that we're shysty, that we're always looking to get over on one another, and that we will, we'll, hey, we'll pay something to so-and-so. We don't mind paying, uh, you know, whatever, a higher wage to somebody that we don't know, but we're always trying to nickel and dime a brother and sister in Christ. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due. We, we should be known to give each other fair wages. But there's also another aspect to this. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due isn't presented to us here in a monetary sense. So therefore we can understand that this isn't just encompassing a monetary sense alone. We should, with, we should not withhold good from them to it is due in that same union place that I went to work as a mechanic when I first started off. There was not much money going around. I was at the bottom level in the apprenticeship program. And in those days, we would pay the credit card and then use the credit card to go buy formula. There was not much money going around. But in those days, I would go to work and I would be so excited because I would come in and there on top of my toolbox would be a Kroger's bag. And one day I came in and there was a Kroger bag. And when I opened it up, somebody had given out of their excess a set of pipe wrenches. And then another day I came in and somebody had been given out of their excess and it was a, a, a miscellaneous set of sockets. But what my point is, is that these people were giving out of their surplus to help meet the needs so that I could become a better maintenance man or so that I could be better prepared. In the same aspect, we should not withhold good from them to whom it is due. Meaning that being a blessing to one another doesn't always mean money. It could be just sending a simple message, letting them know, we're praying for you. It could be a meal. It could be care. It could be concern. We should strive to do good to one another in the same manner that God is not withheld from us. We should in the same manner not withhold from one another. 
God has blessed us physically. Maybe another brother and sister don't have the physical health to do something. We should strive to be a blessing with our physical health. If it's money, then we should strive to be a blessing with physical money. If it's a skill set that God has blessed us with, we should strive to be a blessing to one another with our skill set. Even more, he says here uh, in verse number 28, Say not unto thy neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give when thou hast it by thee. When thou hast it by thee. Meaning, it's not right. You could really say that verse 28, though it's a second prohibition that Solomon gives to his son, it also adds a time perspective, so to say, to verse number 27. Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give when thou hast it by thee. It's not right to put off doing good. It's not right to be lazy. It's not right to put off helping someone because you're being selfish. It's not right putting off helping someone because really you're, so to say, being lazy. I mean... There are times and places for everything, and I understand that, but how often or have you ever been walking out of the store or pulled up to an exit off of the interstate and someone asked you if you had any money because they were hungry? Now, you may not have had any money on you physically, but do you have any money in the bank? I mean, really, what I feel like what's putting into a, a picture here when he says, um, Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give when thou hast it by thee. It means that if we have the ability to do good to someone, we should do it then. Meaning that oftentimes, like I've been here in my own life, that you come off the interstate and the guy says, hey, I'm hungry. I, I, just, I just need a, a few dollars for a few cheeseburgers. And I don't have cash on me, but I'm saying, I'm sorry, I don't have it. Well, do I have it? I mean, I'm not suggesting that you go get your credit card and go into debt and buy a three-course meal, but do you not have the money to stop by McDonald's and so to say and get two cheeseburgers and take it back? But oftentimes, we're not even willing to be inconvenienced to do good to someone else. So he says, say not unto thy neighbor, go again and come tomorrow, and I will give when thou hast it by thee. Here he challenges us to act immediately to really go the extra mile, to be willing to be inconvenienced to meet the need of another. And by the way, not only is it not right to be evil in the sense that we refuse to help the need of another, but don't plan evil against them either. This is what he says in verse 29. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, which is the third prohibition, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. This is one of the struggles with our society today, a statement that has never grown old, that there is a statement that we often hear, well, they're just trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, as we look at what other people possess in our community, oftentimes it stirs up a source of envy, 
this envy has caused more problems with neighbors than we even care to share or think about. I think that one text that comes to mind as we read this, when he says, devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. We, I mean, we have to be careful that in verse 31, he tells us to envy not the oppressor, but even more in verse 29, this devising evil oftentimes is at the heart of envy. But when we think about this verse scripturally, 1 Kings chapter 21 and verses 1 through 26 comes to mind when we read the story about Ahab and Jezebel. I don't think any more uh, scripture more clearly applies to this. As Ahab looked at Naboth's vineyard, he wanted it so bad. And when Ahab approached Naboth over the vineyard, Naboth would say no. And here Ahab, as a grown man, would run off into his bed and pout and cry until his wife Jezebel would come along. And she said, Ahab, there's no reason to cry. And there in the passage, the Bible says that Jezebel would devise a plan to hire a couple sons of Belial. And there they would call Naboth forward. The sons of Belial would lie on Ahab, and there Ahab would be stoned outside of the city walls over a false proclamation that he had blasphemed God. They would carry Naboth and stone him even though he was innocent. There ought to be something special about living next to a, a child of God. They ought to have a sense of security. They ought to be a, a sense of safety that as we live next to each other, I mean, our neighbors who even maybe don't even know the Lord, they ought to have a sense of safety with us being their neighbors. They're not going to worry about us breaking in. They know that we're living rightly. They know that we care and have concern for them, that we're checking on them, that we love for them. And ultimately, our desire for them is to be saved. But here Solomon tells his son that we ought not be the kind of neighbors that devise evil against those who live next to us. They ought to know that they dwell securely. Verse 30, he says, strive not with a man without cause. If he have done thee no harm. This is really the fourth prohibition. And most people believe, most commentators believe that this verse specifically deals with the law. It deals with court. It deals with suing one another. You know, and while Paul makes it clear for us as Christians, we shouldn't be finding ourselves in the court uh, as believers. And I believe that if we handle things biblically, there's nothing that can't be settled as long as the Lord is the center focus. But notice what he says here. While that is the command for what Paul tells us, that Christians ought not to be suing Christians, what, what Solomon says here, that strive not with the man without cause, if he have done thee no harm. He says, listen, there may come a time that you find yourself in court over something that your neighbor has done. Maybe your neighbor has committed some kind of injustice. Maybe your neighbor has committed some... Is there somebody at the back door? Is that what the problem is? Okay. Well, there may be some kind of injustice that is going on. But here he says, but look at the first part. The key in this first part is that strive not with a man 
without a cause. Strive not with a man without a cause. That's the key to the entire understanding of this verse. That there may be a time where you find yourself caught up in an injustice, where something is going on, where you end up in the court. But Solomon's encouragement and Solomon's focus is, is that don't find yourself as one of these people who are just filing lawsuits foolishly, who's just out here trying to sue your neighbor, trying to get ahead. Strive not with the man without cause if he have done thee no harm. We live in a society that is just, just in love with the idea of getting rich easy. They just, every time they turn around, they lie, they connive, they come up with stories. I mean, if you bump somebody's bumper today, I mean, doing a mile an hour, they're going to the hospital in a stretcher. I mean, that's just the age in which we live, and everybody's trying to get rich quick. Yet he says, strive not without a cause. Don't be one of these people who's trying to get money for no reason at all. But he goes on to, and, and another warning he gives is to verse 31. Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. There are times from the earthly lens where it seems like, where it seems like following wisdom, following Jesus, doesn't work out like we think it should. There are times that when we look at the world and when we look at their wealth and we start to find ourselves in a place of envy. Here he says that envy not the oppressor. That's, that's how Solomon views this. Now, in the aspect of this, Solomon is really telling his son, son, do not envy people who use their wealth and their even maybe even physical strength, military prowess, or their monetary ability. Do not envy people who, who have that kind of wealth and they oppress others to get their way. I mean, and this is what uh, Asaph said in Psalms chapter 73. He said, my, my foot almost slipped when I seen the prosperity of the wicked. When I looked how good they were doing, when I looked how evil they were doing, and yet they seemed to, to continue to get ahead. He said, but when I went unto the house of the Lord, and then when I considered their end, he said, it changed my desires. It changed my understanding. And that is the same aspect with Solomon is putting forth in verse number 31, that envy, not, envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. Why? But why? Verse 32. For the froward is a, uh, abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. Let, let me put this in a, in a physical sense. For those who try to strong arm one another, for those who try to bully one another, for those who try to use their wealth to make other people do what they want. He says in uh, verse 32, for the froward is an abomination to the Lord. In a physical sense, what Solomon has said, this kind of behavior makes God sick. This kind of behavior God detests. He, he cannot stand it. It is an 
abomination to him. But Solomon also says, though for this action, for the forward is the abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. So he says there's two points of view here. For the outside, for these people who behave this way, for those who pray on the weaker, for those who may pray on believers, they may use, they may look upon us as like we're just fools, that we're just bamboozled, and here we are coming week after week and reading a Bible that means nothing and serving a God who isn't real. That's the mentality of the wicked. But he says, though for these people, for the forward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. So while the wicked looks at them as defenseless prey, like easy prey, he says that we understand as believers that the Lord's promise, though, is with the righteous. We, we understand that the Lord is our defense. We understand that though they view us as not being able to do anything at all, our confidence is with the Lord. And to, to the wicked, we, we understand as verse 33, the Lord, the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. The foolishness of the wicked brings God's judgment not only upon the wicked. We understand that there is a shared burden here by foolish living. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. Meaning that for those who decide to live wickedly, for parents who decide to live wickedly, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. Meaning that your foolish decisions not only affect you, but it affects everyone who lives in your house. Your foolish decisions, they, they affect your children. And as your children see you live foolishly, expect to reap the harvest of foolish living from your children. But even more, he says, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. In the same aspect where God's judgment is upon the house of those who live wickedly, he said, for those who strive to live righteously, for those who strive to live rightly, for those who strive to seek the Lord, he blesseth the habitation. He, he blesses the household of those who try to serve him. Even more in verse 34, he scorneth the scorners, but he give grace unto the lonely. Verse 35, the wise, the wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. How do we really read this last verse of chapter 3? The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Really, this final verse of chapter 3 is the deciding factor of who you are. When you read the wise, who are the wise? When you read the fools. Who do you consider the winner and the losers in this world? Do you consider the losers those who fail at achieving what you view as simple goals? Do you 
view winners as those who invest into the right stock prices. I mean, how do you view winners and losers? How do you view the wise and the fools? Really, how we answer that will, like I said, tell you where you are in life because how you answer that question will reveal to where you stand and according to the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary's hill. The world sees the cross where losers end up. The world sees the cross as something not worth their time. But we who've placed our faith in Jesus Christ count ourselves blessed because we understand that though we may not have the prosperity of the wicked, because we may not have all the things that the world has to offer, we're wise because we understand what God did in sending his son and in us placing our faith in him. The greatest reward that we can ever have, we've attained because we will inherit glory. But shame, shame for those who live wickedly, for those who live foolishly, shame will be the, shall be the promotion of the fools. So in the closing of chapter 3, we really see Solomon setting out to tell his son, Son, wisdom is so precious. And yet there's so many benefits to keeping God's wisdom. There's so many benefits we've seen really in the first 12 verses of chapter 3. The command and the promise, the command and the promise, all the promises that we receive if we will keep God's commandments. And then really in verses 13 through 26, we see that how wisdom is so precious and that how he puts forth the example of wisdom and that the example of wisdom and when we say we live a life of wisdom, a life of following Jesus, he will say in Verse number 20, that it should be exemplified in our life. You see, it's, it's one thing to say that you follow Jesus. It's another thing to live like you follow Jesus. What we say ought to match the example in which we live. And then in the closing, he sets out to tell his son that if we're true believers and if we're true followers of Jesus Christ and, and we're actually heeding his commandments and we're actually enjoying the benefits and the promises that he gives to us from seeking after him, then it's going to be made apparent to the world because we're going to be the best neighbors. We're going to be the best bosses. We're not going to be walking around talking about how we envy the lives of other people. We're not going to be the kind of people who devises ill against our neighbors. We're not going to be the kind of person who's going to withhold from others and build an empire around when people are suffering around us. We're going to be kind-hearted, loving, giving people. Why? Because the God we serve is a kind-hearted, loving giving God who's never withheld from us. And if he's our example, what kind of people are we if we withhold from others? Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll 
continue to work here in the book of Proverbs, work in our lives as we're continuously challenged, not at times, Lord, in theological depths, but Lord, in practical living. Lord, help us to be better citizens of this country, not for notoriety, but for your glory. Help us to be better Christians one towards another. May we be the kind of believers that see the needs of others in the house of God, to see the needs of other Christians, Lord, that we live a life of loving kindness one towards another. Lord, but we also understand in order to see the needs of one another that we have to interact with one another. We have to communicate with one another. We have to fellowship. In order to understand people's needs, we have to seek to have a relationship. Lord, I pray that you strengthen the relationships of the people here at the Witten Place Baptist Church. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.